Welcome to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Watts. If you want to change your drinking habits and create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, you're in the right place. This podcast explores the strategies I use to overcome a lifetime of family alcohol abuse, more than 30 years of anxiety and worry about my own drinking, and what felt like an unbreakable daily drinking habit. Becoming an alcohol minimalist means removing excess alcohol from your life so it doesn't remove you from life. It means being able to take alcohol or leave it without feeling deprived. It means to live peacefully, being able to enjoy a glass of wine without feeling guilty and without needing to finish the bottle. With science on our side, we'll shatter your past patterns and eliminate your excuses. Changing your relationship with alcohol is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. With me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from, well, let's see. Uh, when your weather forecast uses words like atmospheric river, uh, what do you think? What do you think it's doing around here? It has been so soggy in Oregon. My goodness. Yesterday uh, was like rain from in every hour, every minute, never nonstop. It was just gray. Yeah. That's what it's doing here in Oregon. Still, still, we're in April, folks. We are done. I'm done with April showers. No, we need some flowers now. <laughs> okay. This week, I have a prize winner. And if you would like to be entered into my prize drawing, all you got to do, I do it every other week. All you got to do is leave a review of the podcast or a review of my book, Breaking the Bottle Legacy, wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you've picked up the book, and I will find you, add you in. And this week's prize winner is Fresh Donuts. <laughs> Love that name. Um, I, and here's what Fresh Donuts had to say. I like Molly's inspirational tone and I like the variety of topics. Having this catalog of episodes was super helpful when I decided to explore my drinking habits and really dig into the gray areas. Learn a new vocabulary about drinking and fill my ears while making some positive changes. Perfect. Awesome. That is exactly what I, it is my hope. And I'm glad that you find my tone inspirational. Fresh donuts. All you got to do is email me molly at mollywatts.com. Let me know that is you and I will happily mail you out some alcohol minimalist swag. And just so you know, the alcohol minimalist swag, it actually includes um, a, a journal that I created back when I was doing five for life. And you get a magnet and a, and a sticker and, you know, it's a nice thing to have. And the journal is actually really useful and handy. So uh, hopefully you will take me up and please leave a review of the podcast, uh, which is most appreciated. The book too, but the podcast, because really all the podcast directories are kind of like search engines. And so the more positive reviews you have, the higher up you are on search when people are looking for this content, this type of content, this is how they, they find me. So I, you're doing something good for someone else who might be looking for an inspirational type message. So April is Alcohol Awareness Month. I mentioned that last week. And this is 
the last month, the last opportunity to get my online course hybrid coaching program, step one, uh, when it will include a 50 minute one-on-one coaching session with me. In May, I will be moving step one inside my new program. And of course, if you sign up now in April, you'll automatically be enrolled in the new program, which will have some new features and benefits. But, you know, right now you still get a one-on-one coaching session with me, which you will not get in the future included in the price of enrollment. And as I've said since last September, when I launched step one back then, everyone who joins me as an early adopter for these programs will be rewarded as everything continues to grow and be upgraded. What makes my program unique, and that doesn't mean it's not valuable now because it absolutely is. The po- the feedback I get is very, very positive from everybody that's been going through the program. But what makes my program unique is that you pay once, once, and you have lifetime access. And that includes ongoing monthly group coaching. In the new program, there are going to be more opportunities for ongoing support that even though they are available to you every month, all the time, you do not pay more for them. Step one is $299 one time for lifetime access, because what I want for you is to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol to become an alcohol minimalist for the rest of your life. And this is how I do it by providing lifetime support, lifetime access. And by the way, you can pay for it via PayPal and break that up into four, four payments even. So it's, it's super affordable and I would love to see you, love to meet you, have a one-on-one coaching call with you this month. So sign up now. You can go to www.mollywatts.com slash step one to learn more. On to this week's show. So I've named this episode Behind the Alcohol Headlines because lately I feel like the science of alcohol has been making headlines again. And I think it's important to add context to what these quote unquote new studies are all saying. And I'll give you a hint when we actually go behind the headlines and dig into the studies, the takeaway is pretty much the same thing that I've been sharing for the past two plus years on this podcast, which in case you are new around here, boils down to really these two statements. Number one, no amount of alcohol is categorically safe beyond zero. And number two, if you are not already drinking alcohol, you should not begin drinking for any perceived health benefit. All right. That's that's the bottom line. That's the that's the the numbers um, from a scientific standpoint. But there's a lot of other things that I talk about in terms of risk profile and risk rewards analysis that need to be taken into account when we're deciding whether or not we're going to include alcohol in our lives. Now, I do talk about low risk guidelines here, but I want to be clear from the get go, the alcohol minimalist guidelines that I talk about are based on and only based on your chances of developing alcohol use disorder. They are provided by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, NIAAA. All right. The low risk guidelines I reference have nothing to do with cancer, death, etc. Those risks death and disease are different. And there actually is no scientific consensus on what quote unquote low risk equates to when we are talking about alcohol's link to death and disease. 
The headlines that are that come out are usually referring to death and disease because really that's what most people want to understand. You know, how much alcohol can I drink before there is a risk to my overall health and well-being? Well, those risks to your health and well-being vary by individual. The risks are likely very dependent on other factors like your sex, your age, your weight, pre-existing conditions, socioeconomic status, as well as lifestyle factors like stress, diet, exercise, and oh yes, tobacco use. To make general recommendations beyond what we have in those statements that I just shared, number one, that there is no amount of alcohol that is categorically safe beyond zero, and number two, if you are not already drinking alcohol, you should not begin drinking for any perceived health benefit, is really not possible beyond that. You can't make that kind of guideline based on science. Now, if you want to hear more about using science to guide your alcohol decisions, you can go back all the way to episode number 31 back in July 2021. And I talked about some of the issues regarding science when it comes to alcohol and why we can't just completely rely on science and where we should pay more attention to the science. Okay. I'm not telling you to ignore science that you know that would never come out of my mouth because I'm very much a science nerd and there's very there's very real science when it comes to alcohol and how it impacts the body. But I want to dig in because what we keep hearing things that make it sound like there's new science and that there's new findings and I don't know that that's necessarily true. What I want to dig in and see is anyone really saying anything different about safe levels of alcohol consumption. So back in February, I did an episode, and I will link all of these episodes in the show notes, folks, with Monica Reinagle um, on the global burden of disease, discussing a 2022 meta-analysis of the 2020 global burden of risk. And this meta-analysis that was published in July of 2022 basically tried to develop thresholds so guidelines based on region-specific, sex-specific, and age-specific levels of alcohol. So more nuanced than any previous type of guidelines or recommendations, right? So age-specific, region-specific, sex-specific, that the levels of alcohol consumption that would indicate the lowest health risks. Now, the author's approach considers, this is from this body of this study, the author's approach considers the population distribution of health outcomes causally affected by alcohol consumption, such as injuries, gastrointestinal diseases, and cardiovascular diseases. The meta-analysis appears to show that for adults aged 45 and older, drinking half a standard drink daily is beneficial for their health. And the daily consumption of up to two standard drinks for 55-year-olds and four standard drinks for 80-year-olds is associated with similar health risks as abstaining from alcohol. Okay, so this is based on all-cause mortality again. So this means that diseases that don't necessarily result in death as often, like say breast cancer, for instance, won't appear in these statistics because, and as often, at least as like cardiovascular disease, which is the leading cause of death, at least here in the United States. So these meta-analysis details were published in July, 2022, showing this, what I just talked about, right? And by November, 2022, there was already pushback on it. 
Here's an article from Lancet in November. And it says, Despite the comprehensive efforts of tailoring drinking thresholds to the health risks faced by different populations, we have concerns about the methodology used in the study and the interpretation of the findings. The relative risks and measures of alcohol exposure used in the model have numerous limitations. Firstly, as acknowledged as a limitation, drinking patterns were not considered in the analysis. What that means is that they didn't take into account how people were consuming the number of drinks they were drinking. Because when people consume, say, four drinks in two hours, it's much different than four drinks spread out over, you know, eight or 10 hours or spread out over a week. Secondly, the methodology of applying weights to universal risk curves appears to be one-sided because known age-dependent effects of alcohol and regional differences were not considered. And thirdly, the relative risks are known to be affected by bias introduced by people who choose to quit drinking due to health conditions. This is something that's called in this, which we've come to understand is a plague of many of older um, scientific studies is what they call sick quitters, the sick quitters bias. Although the models used in the study do control for the reference group being lifetime non-drinkers only, current epidemiological studies do not account for people who quit drinking due to health conditions being removed from the exposure group, therefore biasing the relative risk of moderate alcohol consumption towards protective effect. Okay, that's basically what is, that's what describing what the sick quitter effect does to the, to the outcomes. In addition to the outlined methodological concerns, we also think that disability-adjusted life year-weighted risk curves do not constitute an appropriate tool for defining drinking guidelines because there is solid evidence that the consumption of one standard drink daily increases some health risks. A more cautious approach to defining drinking guidelines is warranted, which also includes the risk of cumulative exposure. So, what does that mean? It means that basically the what we're talking about, one standard drink daily increases some health risks. That is the 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 risk, the lower the increased risk, say a very um like esophageal cancer, uh cancer of the mouth, oral cancers, uh even breast cancer for women, right? These are associated particular there is an increased risk. Now, not the the statistical significance of that risk is up for debate, but there is increased risk, right? And because of that, what they're saying is that a more cautious approach to defining drinking guidelines is warranted. It also doesn't take into account the study. This this study didn't take cumulative exposure over time, so longitudinal. Instead, the findings and the proposed interpretation by the GBD 2020 alcohol collaborators provide a unique opportunity for the alcohol industry to promote moderate consumption of up to two standard drinks per day for middle-aged adults and up to four standard drinks per day per older adults, which are the age groups that have the most alcohol-related harms. Okay, so that's very interesting. So basically what they're saying is that this interpretation actually gives fuel to the alcohol industry to promote alcohol use amongst these groups. Thus, the implication of these findings, which are published in a prestigious journal with a global audience, are potentially detrimental to achieving international goals of reducing alcohol consumption and harms. 
basically the meta-analysis authors are being called out here for not taking a more conservative tack on defining drinking guidelines because it absolutely could encourage people, especially middle-aged and older adults, to continue drinking or drink more than they already are. And the science simply does not support that. Okay? Especially if you look at it like like they what they're saying is there's more science than just global risk of all-cause mortality, because we're not just talking about, we're talking about disease. We're talking about your, uh, you know, I would say that the science includes the effects on your sleep, that it infects the neuroscience. There are things that, there are things that don't necessarily uh, cause you to die, but still impact your overall health. Just a quick break to talk with you about Sunnyside. You hear me talk about it on the podcast, and truthfully, I have so many students and group members that share with me how Sunnyside is their preferred tool. It helps them build their healthier drinking habits and really create that peaceful relationship with alcohol. It's a tool that I feel very confident in recommending. And the Sunnyside team has recently, in September, launched a new iOS app. And that iOS app is going to just enhance the existing text message experience. It makes it easier to build healthier drinking habits for anyone looking to cut back or simply drink more mindfully. The new Sunnyside community is also available only in the new iOS app, and it gives you access to an engaged community of like-minded people who are also on a journey to cut back on drinking and build healthier drinking habits. It's a safe, private space, and you'll get access to inspiration and advice from Sunnyside members as well as coaches. I encourage you to go check out Sunnyside. Go to www.sunnyside.co slash molly to get started on a free 15-day trial. That's www.sunnyside.co slash molly. On January 4th, 2023, the World Health Organization published this news release. So this is what the World Health Organization had to say in 2023 about alcohol. The risks and harms associated with drinking alcohol have been systematically evaluated over the years over the years and are well documented. The World Health Organization has now published a statement in the Lancet Public Health. When it comes to alcohol consumption, there is no safe amount that does not affect health. Sounds kind of like what I just said, doesn't it? Alcohol, this is another quote from that press release. Alcohol is a toxic, psychoactive, and dependence-producing substance that has been classified as a group one carcinogen, by the International Agency for Research on Cancer decades ago. This is the highest risk group, which also includes asbestos, radiation, and tobacco. Alcohol causes at least seven types of cancer, including the most common cancer types such as bowel cancer and female breast cancer. Ethanol, alcohol, causes cancer through biological mechanisms as the compound breaks down in the body, which means that any beverage containing alcohol, regardless of its price and quality, poses a risk of developing cancer. The risk of developing cancer increases substantially the more alcohol is consumed. However, latest available data indicate that half of all alcohol-attributable cancers in the WHO European region are caused by light and moderate alcohol consumption. 
less than 1.5 liters of wine or less than 3.5 liters of beer or less than 450 milliliters of spirits per week. This drinking pattern is responsible for the majority of alcohol-attributable breast cancers in women, with the highest burden observed in countries of the European Union. In the European Union, cancer is the leading cause of death with a steadily increasing incidence rate, and the majority of all alcohol-attributable deaths are due to different types of cancer. Now, I will say again that we cannot isolate alcohol from other known risk factors factors for cancer. So what they're basically telling you is in that all that in these, it's observational and uh, associative. So when people come in and they develop cancer, they ask them kind of like what they, they learn about what their use patterns are. And what they see is a very strong link between people who are drinking these levels of alcohol and the and breast cancer incidence. To identify a safe level of alcohol consumption, valid scientific evidence would need to demonstrate that at and below a certain level, there is no risk of illness or injury associated with alcohol consumption. The new WHO statement clarifies, currently available evidence cannot indicate the existence of a threshold at which the carcinogenic effects of alcohol switch on and start to manifest in the human body. Moreover, there are no studies that would demonstrate that the potential beneficial effects of light and moderate drinking on cardiovascular diseases and type 2 diabetes outweigh the cancer risk associated with these same levels of alcohol consumption for individual consumers. So basically, again, that says that there are potential beneficial effects for cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is really interesting because basically, in if you look at all the, the data, you can see that type 2 diabetes actually goes down when people are consuming the, the consuming alcohol. So uh, I don't really know what that what to make of that. I don't know what that says about other lifestyle factors. It, this goes on to say, we cannot talk about a so-called safe level of alcohol use. It doesn't matter how much you drink. The risk to a drinker's health starts from the first drop of any alcoholic beverage. The only thing that we can say for sure is that the more you drink, the more harmful it is. Or in other words, the less you drink, the safer it is, explains Dr. Karina Ferreira Borges, acting unit lead for non-communicable disease management and regional advisor for alcohol and illicit drugs in the WHO regional office for Europe. So nothing has really changed here in terms of the scientific process of researching alcohol. So these new headlines are still referencing science that is associative and observational. We cannot isolate alcohol in humans over a longitudinal study. There is no double-blind placebo control for alcohol research. This has always been the case, but as more and more studies become available and older studies are reanalyzed, we can learn some new findings. Though honestly, in all the research I have read and all the headlines that I've dug into, the basic facts, facts do not change from what I concluded back in 2020 when I wrote Alcohol Truths, How Much is Safe. Um, that is an ebook, and if you haven't grabbed it yet, just head over to www.mollywatts.com resources because it is always there. 
Talking about headlines in 2023 and alcohol news would not be complete without discussing the Canadian government's guidelines on alcohol use. In mid-January, the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction issued new guidelines and stated that no amount of alcohol is safe and recommends no more than two drinks a week for men and women. Now, here's information from the actual printed document behind the headline, okay? This project represents a synthesis of the best available evidence about the relationship between alcohol use and health outcomes. However, the current evidence base has limitations that are important to acknowledge. Specifically, there have been no randomized trials of alcohol consumption for any morbidity or mortality outcome. As noted in Section 2.1.3, The observational studies that compromise the bulk of the evidence incorporated in this report are subject to a variety of threats to validity, mainly not controlling for confounding variables, only adjusting to age and sex. Most studies included in the meta-analysis used for this project assessed alcohol outcomes based on weekly average levels of alcohol use and failed to account for the effects of drinking patterns, e.g. binge drinking or spacing out drinking over time, within those average levels. Hence, we were unable to directly model how binge drinking affects the risk of disease and injury. However, binge drinking is indirectly accounted for in our models as weekly alcohol consumption is correlated with the probability of binge drinking. This project and its conclusions are based largely on population averages, and do not necessarily apply to any individual and their unique socio-behavioral, genetic, and medical circumstances, nor do they account for risk and protective factors at the community, familiar, familial, or individual levels. So basically, within the body of that uh, very extensive document, it says everything that basically just told you that that is the problem with the science and that it acknowledges that there is no randomized trials. It acknowledges that there's a lot of confounding variables. Confounding variables, folks, are all those other things that could be causing cancer, that could be causing death, that could be preventing cancer, that could be preventing death, that we do that don't have anything to do with drinking alcohol. And I've talked about my concerns around the new recommendations in Canada because, not because I don't think that we should, well, first of all, what I think is that we, what we need to do is move away from making specific guidelines and threshold recommendations. And we just need to be clear about the fact that it's, there's no safe a level of, there's no safe level and that it is a class one carcinogen. We should absolutely be telling people that. Anyways, I'll get to that in a second. But the thing is, is that when you tell people that, at three to six standard drinks per week, you risk your risk of developing several different types of cancers, including breast cancer and colon cancer increases when you just broadly say that. It's anxiety provoking. And for people who are already drinking 25, 30 units per, per week, right? When they hear that even if they drink only three to six standard drinks per week, they still are at risk, they still don't, they don't, they, that, that, that's a, that's a recommendation that even if you, you have to drink two or less, it's demoralizing and they, they feel like they can't get there in any way, shape or form. And so they take no action. That's what I worry about. And it says in this, this report that the, 
the, your risk of larynx, larynx cancer increases by 100% after, after three to five drinks per week. But it doesn't tell you that larynx cancer was diagnosed in only 0.0197% of Canadians. This is a Canadian study, I mean, Canadian guideline. And also, P.S., the most, most all of those people that it was diagnosed in are smokers. So is it the smoker smoking or is it the alcohol that's causing cancer, right? We don't know because we can't isolate it. Or some of the language, the final report says that eight or more drinks a week radically increases your harm. That word sounds very radical, right? And you would assume that the levels of risk are very scary and frightening, but that's actually not what the data indicates. And in some cases, such as with heart disease and stroke, a certain amount of alcohol consumption does remain protective based on associative and observational science, meaning that people who consume up to seven standard drinks per week are less likely to have a heart attack than those who drink nothing. That's what the science still observationally shows. Now, there are theories as to why that that exists, but that's not really what's important. I just want you to hear the understand the data that's being that's being thrown out and used to create headlines. What's important is the outcome has been measured, yet the report makes no ma- mention of it. So overall, there's a distortion of the data. We'll, pre- we'll present you something you won't totally understand so that we can tell you what it means in a way that suits our agenda. That's what people said about the, about the Canadian guidelines. In fact, no more than two drinks for low risk and three to six drinks for moderate risk are based on accepted levels of global risk for mortality, which means that at two drinks per week, you have a one in 1000 chance of dying as a result of your alcohol use and three to six drinks per week that you have a one in 100 risk of dying as a result of your alcohol use. So that's where the risk guidelines actually ultimately came from when they decided to make this statement that adults in Canada should drink no more than two standard drinks for low risk and three to six drinks for moderate risk. With those labels, low and moderate, are based on the accepted levels of global risk for mortality. Global risk for mortality. And so that's what it means in Canada. If you're drinking two standard drinks per week, you have a one in 1,000 chance of dying as a result of your alcohol use. And if you drink three to six drinks per week, you have a one in 100 risk of dying as a result of your alcohol use. Now, statistically, moving from one in 1,000 to one in 100 is significant in terms of percentage, right? Of course. But does 1 in 1,000 or 1 in 100 feel significant to you in terms of your overall risk? Are you willing to play a game? If you're playing some game and the odds at a game are that in every 1 out of 100 times you will lose and 99 times out of 100 you will win, are you playing that game? I'm taking the 99 times personally, but that's me. Would I prefer the odds to be 1 in 1,000? Of course. But quite honestly, there are a lot of other things that I consume that have just as high high of odds, possibly higher, at contributing to my my overall risk of dying, right? Like say things like, oh, I don't know, bacon. That's probably something that uh, that if I looked at that, I could probably find odds that are just as high as alcohol in terms of contributing to my overall risk of dying. 
But of course, the headlines sound very alarming, and that's really the problem. We need to get a lot more neutral and clear on alcohol. And again, I'm absolutely for labeling on alcohol that states it is a class one carcinogen. People should know that and understand that alcohol is labeled as a carcinogen. And we absolutely should have labels that define the number of standard drinks in each container. People should know how much alcohol they are consuming. And we definitely need to stop perpetuating the idea that alcohol is good for our overall health and well-being. It's no, it's, it, there are, again, the science is not clear. It's associative. It's observational. I think the best message is that there's no safe amount. And if you're going to drink anything, it should be minimal. Okay. Last one. On March 31st, 2023, so very recently, the Journal of American Medical Association, the JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, published another meta-analysis designed to answer the question, what is the association between mean daily alcohol intake and all-cause mortality? Once again, that's what the study said, but that's not what the headline said, right? So the headline was in the New York Times, and the headline in the New York Times was, Moderate drinking has no health benefits. Analysis of decades of research finds. This is what was in the New York Times. For decades, scientific studies suggested moderate drinking was better for most people's health than not drinking at all and could even help them live longer. A new analysis of more than 40 years of research has concluded that many of those studies were flawed and that the opposite is true. The review found that the risks of dying prematurely increase significantly for women once they drink 25 grams of alcohol a day, which is less than two standard cocktails containing 1.5 ounces of distilled spirits, 12 two 12 ounce beers, or two five ounce glasses of wine. The risk to men increased significantly at 45 grams of alcohol a day, or just over three drinks. So that's a different guideline. One is standard drink or three you know, so the CDC says moderate risk is no more than one standard drink for women and two standard drinks for men. And here we're talking about two and three. The new report, which analyzed more than 100 studies of almost 5 million adults, was not designed to develop drinking recommendations. Okay, good. But to correct for the methodological problems that plagued many of the older observational studies, Those reports consistently found that moderate drinkers were less likely to die of all causes, including those not related to alcohol consumption. Now, again, basically what they tried to go back in and do was uh, account for the sick quitter effect to account for the relative risk in terms of patterns, you know, habit patterns, whether it's binge drinking versus spreading drinks out over time, et cetera. And again, Amanda Berger, Vice President for Science and Health with the Distilled Spirits Council, said the new analysis still suggests that those who drink in moderation live longer than those who do not, but added, no one should drink alcohol to obtain potential health benefits, and some individuals should not drink at all. So that's what the New York Times shared from the JAMA article, but the conclusions in the article itself, in the actual publication, um, I certainly didn't find to be that clear or compelling. Here's what it said. In this updated systematic review and meta-analysis, daily low or moderate alcohol intake was not significantly associated with all-cause mortality risk, while increased risk was evident at higher consumption levels, starting at lower levels for women than men. In the fully adjusted model, 
there was a non-significantly increased risk of all-cause mortality among drinkers who drank 25 to 44 grams per day and significantly increased risk for drinkers who drank 45 to 64 and 65 or more grams per day. So again, non-significantly increased risk, non-significantly. When we say something is non-significant in scientific terms, it means that it has a low, you know, the, 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 the percentage is so low that they consider it to be, they, it's non-significant. But again, we're back to all-cause mortality, right? They're talking about all-cause mortality, which may or may not apply to something like breast cancer, which typically doesn't doesn't always kill people. It doesn't always, you know, the, the survival rates for breast cancer are very high. So they're not going to show up in an all-cause mortality risk. All right. Well, I am now done playing <laughs> Scoop Watts here. Uh, but I want to finally, finally say, for me, understanding the science of alcohol was an important piece of the puzzle in helping me determine my own personal level of risk reward when it comes to alcohol. And that includes the science of alcohol and sleep. It includes the science of alcohol and brain health. It includes the science of alcohol and cancer. And it includes alcohol and heart disease, alcohol and blood pressure, alcohol and diabetes, all of these things. Here's what I know. It is not a one size fits all answer. And the only thing that is clear, if you're going to drink alcohol, less is better than more and be either an alcohol minimalist like me or don't drink at all. Okay. Before I sign off, I do want to share something for my healthcare workers who are listening. I would like to invite you to a free event that is happening with 21 experts. Uh, yours truly, myself, is one of them. And in this 21-day event, uh, or this free event, it's not 21 days, it's shorter than that. It's a free event. It is called the Freedom Summit for Medical Professionals. Expert Secrets to Navigate Stress, Beat Exhaustion, and Focus on What Matters Most. This program, you will receive two short 30-minute interviews per day in your inbox. And, uh, you know, it's really designed, again, for healthcare workers because the last few years have been really tough in medicine. You've conquered survival mode, and now it's time to, to help, you, help you feel better, to rise above stress patterns and even those high-stress situations. This program, the Freedom Summit for Medical Professionals, is uh, available. Again, it's free. And all you got to do is register. You're going to learn how to um, really regain joy in your career and your life. You're going to get some straight talk about burnout. And you're going to hopefully get rid of some of the stress patterns that have been affecting you for the last couple of years. I will link it in the show notes where you can register for this free summit. And if you have any questions, you can also reach out to me, molly at mollywatts.com. All right, my friends, that is all I have for you in alcohol and the news. I feel like I should, you know, have one of those little dun 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 dun, dun sounds this week. All right. Until next time, my friends, choose peace. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Use something you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. 
you have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.